Our scripture reading for today is found in Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. Luke 17, 11 through 19. I would encourage you, if you have a Bible, to turn and read along as I read aloud from God's Word. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten clean? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Let's pray. Dear Father, we are grateful, eternally grateful, Lord, for your word. We are grateful to be able to look at it and examine it and consider it and ponder it. Take it home with us. Mull it over over the week. Because your word is the word of life. We find blessing in your word. We find guidance for life. We find the promise of eternal life. And the path through which we find eternal life. We ask that as we look at your word this morning, that we would see it as something that is indeed alive. That it shares your qualities and that it has your fullest blessing, that your Holy Spirit might quicken our hearts to consider it, to see how it applies to us, to learn from your word as we learn from you. We ask that our hearts might be encouraged and strengthened through your word this morning, and that my words would be faithful to your word, which alone is holy. In Jesus' name, amen. There are a few places in Scripture where a percentage response is given. In other words, if such and such a thing happens, how many people respond in such and such a way? We've had our fill of that over the last several weeks because we've been hearing all of the responses and all of the tabulation of results from the elections and the exit polls. How many people think this? How many people think that? Right here, you have the basis for a great percentage. It does not take a mathematician to look at these numbers and figure out that 10% of the people responded in the right way. 10% of the people. Now, as we look at this example from Scripture, we think about it. If we have not heard it very many times, it comes to life in a new way to us. If we've read it many times, and we look at it, and we all we can think about it as is being a story we've heard time and time again, let's look at it in a new way. <clears throat> Realize that Jesus performed a miracle for these ten people that was incomparable. In performing this miracle for these ten people, he changed their way of life as dramatically as a man or woman's life could be changed in that time. 
Because you must realize that leprosy, based upon the Old Testament law given by God, was something that caused you to be excluded from everything. When you had leprosy, which was a name for whatever the skin disease happened to be, when you had leprosy, you were a complete outcast. There was no hope for a relationship with anybody. There was not even hope for a relationship with God based upon participation in the temple synagogue rites. You were not allowed in. People would be standing at the doors and see you coming up and say, "Uh uh-uh, no way. You knew better than to ask. Because how many times would you have to ask and be rejected before what you would do is shun people? And you had to shun people because if you touched them, they shared in your being an outcast for a period of time. They were unclean as well. Why did they come up to Jesus at a distance and call out, Jesus, Master, have pity on us, because they were not allowed to approach closer. That is why we find in the New Testament that there's such a marvel found in the fact that Jesus approached the lepers and He touched them. Because here were people who were dirt in that community and society. They were considered to be dirt. People were not allowed to touch them because that made others unclean. And so if you picture the whole scope of what this meant for the lives of these people, you realize they didn't live with their families. They were not able to do their jobs. They were not able to associate with people. They were not able to go to the church of that day, synagogue, temple. They were not able to go into any of these circumstances. They were not even allowed to go down to the public market and buy groceries or whatever when other people were around. Because people would not tolerate them being near enough for the danger of touching them. So what Jesus did is in a moment He transformed that. Being outcasts, they were people who were once again welcomed back into the embrace of society. How do we compare that today? I can't think of anything that specifically compares that today. Perhaps you can as you consider it. We think about some of the things that people get today. Some of the gifts that they receive. Winning the lottery getting a gift from a family member for birthday, getting something from a relative for Christmas. All of these sorts of things. And the question we ask as we consider these things is how many people in our society today are used to giving thanks for what they receive? How many people say, thank you? How many people go further than thank you and offer an expression of thanks, such as a written note or something along those lines. And as we start looking at those things which are true and uh, genuine reflections of thankfulness and gratitude for having received even a small thing up to a very great thing, the number of people who falls in the category of truly grateful dwindles and dwindles and dwindles. What do we learn from this passage about thanksgiving? It's interesting to notice 
the Jesus question when this one man returned is this. Were not all ten cleansed? He knew they were all ten cleansed. Anybody who knew him in his work knew they were all ten cleansed as well. Where are the other nine? Where are the other nine? Why did he bring this up? Did he bring it up to make that one man feel guilty? Certainly not. Because he goes on to offer that man great praise and get a further gift. He brought that up to say to those around him, Folks, this is something you need to watch for. This is something you need to watch out for. This is something you need to be aware of. And I think as we look at this passage and we see what is involved in the lives of the other nine, by implication, because we know nothing about them except for that they came up, they asked for healing, they were healed, and they're gone. They're gone. Never to be seen again, as far as we can tell in Scripture. I think what we see from that, and from the implication that we read in this passage regarding that, Jesus was saying to his followers at this point, Folks, this is a trap you can fall into. See the gates opening. Look at the pit dug before your feet. Be on your guard. Keep watch. Do not let yourself fall into the trap of the other nine. And as we look at Thanksgiving, we look at this passage and other passages and verses in Scripture. We come to this week of Thanksgiving. Thursday is Thanksgiving. We need to look not only at the one who returned, because he is our positive example and model, but we also need to look at the other nine, because we need to say, Lord, keep me from that. Keep me from that. What we learn from this passage is, of course, the appropriate response to God's gifts. The appropriate response is thanksgiving. And it will be done if you and I truly appreciate what we get. It won't be done if you and I think we're getting only what we deserve. If we say in our hearts, well, thanks a lot. I knew I was getting that. I expected that. Then our thanks is not genuine. Our thanks will not be full-hearted. Our thanks may not even exist at all because we considered we deserved it. This is the explanation behind rampant ingratitude in that time and in this time. As we look at our country, we realize that one of the phrases, one of the words that is being tossed back and forth as a political football is the term entitlements. Entitlements. (coughs) Our country and our economy is in so many ways now being built upon entitlements. What does that name mean? That very name expresses the attitude that in our country we are in so much in danger of falling into the trap of the other nine, which is that we are entitled to what we get. We deserved it, right? We deserved it. When we consider something as being our entitlement, we consider that it is owed to us no matter 
that perhaps we never even earned it. <clears throat> We're moving farther and farther away from merit today, closer and closer to a complete welfare state in which people, what people do or don't do has no influence whatsoever on what they get. Because of the immense size and the impersonal nature of our government, we further discourage thankfulness and ingratitude. If you get help from our government, who are you going to thank? Who can you thank if you get help from our government? The president? He's not directly responsible. Are you going to thank your next door neighbor? He had as much input into whatever you and I receive as entitlements in our nation today as anybody else, but you can't very well thank him because he just dropped in the bucket. Just one very tiny, tiny, small piece in the whole pie. Are you going to thank Uncle Sam? <laughs> Try and thank Uncle Sam. Go up to a poster. Thank you, Uncle Sam. Because that's all Uncle Sam is. <clears throat> thinking that we deserve good things that we get, that somehow someone owes them to us, is a fatal trap that's much larger than the trap of ingratitude in our country, for instance. Because it is a fatal trap for our faith. Whether or not we are thankful for entitlements, birthday gifts, Christmas gifts, all of these sorts of things, is really has very little significance. But it's part of a bigger picture, which is a spiritual trap, spiritual relationship, the relationship between gratitude and our faith in our God, our Heavenly Father. As we look at the nine who didn't return to Christ to thank Christ for their healing, by implication we know that many of them were Israelites. Because Christ brought out the fact, where are the other nine? Did we have to have just a foreigner return to give thanks for this wonderful gift? And so by implication, we can safely assume that some, if not all, of the rest of the nine, the rest of the ten, the nine who didn't return, were Jewish people. <clears throat> it was a Samaritan who came back to thank Christ and give praise to God. A Samaritan one of those outcasts among the Israelite nation who were not regarded as Israelites because their ancestors had been part Jewish and they had intermarried with the heathen people in surrounding areas and they had gotten farther and farther away from the true faith worship of the Lord God. And as a result, they were no longer part of the same nation. They were no longer part of the true worship of God. And this man of all ten, this foreigner, he did not feel like he had gotten what he deserved. He sincerely recognized that what he had gotten is a miraculous and wonderful, life-changing, heaven-sent gift. And yet some, if not all, of the nine were Jews. And they would have known that God's people are to recognize that all good gifts come from the Heavenly Father. And if they come from the Heavenly Father, then certainly you must thank Him for His gifts. Particularly, and particularly is a bad word to use in this instance, because we're to thank God for all things. But I guess the way to put it is, how in the world could something like this happen to you and you not be overflowing with gratitude? <coughs> 
these other people did other things rather than coming back to praise God and thanks to Jesus Christ. They went back perhaps to their families to rejoice. They went perhaps to see if their old homes were still there. To see perhaps how their business was doing. To see if their friends still recognized them. They felt, unlike this foreigner, that they had no need to thank Jesus. Perhaps they thought that on their way they'd already done so. It was enough. I said, thank you, thank you, bye. Perhaps that was enough, they thought. Perhaps they thought he was so humble he really didn't need thanking. Perhaps they thought they could do it after they told everyone the joyous news. Perhaps they simply forgot about it in the joy of the moment. Nevertheless, whatever motivated them to neglect, returning to thank Christ, they demonstrated this fact. They felt they deserved it. They felt that they had gotten exactly what they deserved. Fundamentally, that is the basis for ingratitude and lack of thankfulness. We can blame other things. We can see people... We can say that people do not know how to give thanks unless they are taught to give thanks. But appreciation of a gift like Christ gave these lepers does not need to be taught. Where it is missing as Christ expressed, it is not so much a sign of ignorance, it is a sign of sinfulness. Is there anyone who deserves the good things they get? Anyone? Is there anyone? Think about it. Is there anyone who deserves all of the good things they get? Or even just some of the good things that they get? A constant theme in our prayers before the offering is gratitude for what God has given to us and returning a portion of what He has given to us, to Him for His service and for spreading the great and glorious news of hope in Jesus Christ. But of all the people who deserved what they, the good things that they got, Christ, right? Christ deserved all the good that he got. Look with me at several verses and see what we find. And I'm just going to read through the verses. And you're going to say, that's a, that's a fair amount of single verses. But just listen to the common thread. By the time I've read several of them, you'll say, there it is again. There it is again. Matthew 14, 19. He directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples. The disciples gave them to the people. Matthew fifteen thirty six. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish. And when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And they in turn to the people. Matthew twenty six twenty six. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it. Gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Now don't say the common thread is food. <laughs> that just means you're hungry. Keep listening. Mark 6.41, taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, and this is a parallel passage, of course, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Luke 24.30, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. John 6.11, this is the last one. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. Now, a lot of those are parallel passages, but a lot of them aren't. The common thread is this. Jesus gave thanks. Jesus gave thanks. He did it in a public way. He did it in a way that everybody would see it. He did it in a way that would focus people's attention on God. Not on great food. Not on, isn't this a miracle that we've got this food? Because in those parallel passages, it was a miracle. (coughs) 
Not on people with needs. Not on the fact that He had the power to do these things. Focuses people's attention on the fact that these gifts, this food, came from God. Now, an interesting thing in looking at these passages is the Luke 24.30 passage. Jim Thomas always likes to ask Bible trivia questions. So as I read this passage again, you go through your mind, see if you can figure out exactly what story this is referring to. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Somewhat anonymous. Focus in on it, and you will see that that is what happened with the two disciples who are traveling on the road to Emmaus. Now, what happened at that meal? Jesus rose from the dead. Two of the disciples who didn't know that he had risen from the dead were headed out to Emmaus. They were extremely downcast, and the stranger walked up to them along the road and started walking with them. And he said to them, you seem very downcast. What is the matter? Who are you that you don't know what's been going on in Jerusalem these days, they said. And he said, well, tell me about it. So they told him about this person named Jesus, who had been crucified by the high priests through the power of the Roman government. And he opened the scriptures to them as they walked. That's a figurative In other words, reminding them of things that the scriptures said, telling them of how the Old Testament prophecy dealt with the life of this person named Jesus. Now, you would think as you were walking along, if you think about this now, now, (coughs) this person is telling them why all this had to happen and explaining to them the details of Christ's life and resurrection and all of these things. And you would think if you were one of those people, you'd have the sense to realize this guy's got he's a lot like Jesus the one who was killed right I mean you have to think that in your mind we tend to think we're smarter than other people but anyway they didn't have any idea who it was they got to their destination and they said it's a little dark out why don't you stay the night here and then you can go on in the morning so he said well okay they sat down to eat and what did he do he gave thanks he broke the bed and what happened to them It's Jesus. It's Jesus Christ. That's him. And he was gone. How did they recognize him? How did they recognize him? Did they recognize him by his teaching? (laughs) No. Yeah. They recognized him by giving thanks. By the way in which he broke the bread and gave thanks. And I don't want to put an unfair emphasis on this thing here. And say, you know, we have to recognize that they were used to this God-man being among them, breaking the bread together with them and giving thanks with them. Of all the people in the world who have no reason to give thanks, this was the one. And his disciples recognized him in a large measure because of the way in which he gave thanks to God. Because of the way in which he gave thanks to God. If we look at scripture, we find examples of other people who gave thanks to God in extremely trying circumstances. 
the book of Job, about the, the life of Job, it ju- is just such an example. And Satan said about this man, when God said, have you examined, have you looked at my servant Job? And Satan said, ah, yeah, but the only reason he's thankful and grateful to you is the fact, look at all you've given him. All the wealth, wonderful children, a great home, servants galore. Look at all these blessings. And God said, all right, you can take those things away from him. And he took them away, and Job continued to give thanks. It doesn't mean he wasn't miserable, because he was. And when then God allowed Satan also to take away his health, doesn't mean he was, wasn't more miserable. He was. But in the midst of all that, Job thirteen fifteen, Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. The story of thanksgiving is a story that comes to us culturally in remembering the pilgrims. Why did they set up a day or a week, a period of time to give thanks? They had gone through six months, eight months before, ten months before, whenever the winter ended. They had gone through a terrible winter. They had lost somewhere around a third of their people had died. Did they have reason for giving thanks? Humanly speaking, no. They had had a good harvest and they probably had enough to make it through the next winter. But how do you look at a third of your company having been lost? Most people having lost a family member and come 11 months, 10 months, 8 months later and celebrate. How do you have a celebration in those circumstances? The only way you do it is by recognizing God's hand giving you everything you have. There's no other way to give thanks in those circumstances. (coughs) You and I (coughs) need to be people who are thankful. It doesn't matter the blessings we have. It doesn't matter the curses we have. God calls upon us to recognize that all good gifts come from him and to thank him for all good gifts. Now, it is extremely important to notice that this Samaritan came back praising God in a loud voice. You will see on this sheet that uh, is a suggestion for us to do as individuals and as families over this next week. That it involves thanking God and it also involves on one day thanking people. Thankfulness is something that is to be focused first and foremost and always upon God. But it also must be reflected on our relationship with other people. Now this Samaritan came back praising God. And so in everything you and I do, we must praise God and thank Him for all things. We must thank Him for all things. We must thank Him for tests as well. Because it is those that He used to mature us in our faith. We also need to be people who thank people. Because the wellsprings of thankfulness dry up. They dry up. You don't do it, you get out of the habit of doing it. If you and I do not thank people and thank God, we'll stop thanking the other. If we do not stay in the habit of being thankful, if we do not stay in the habit of realizing that we don't deserve anything, we were sort of chuckling in our our Sunday school class this morning because God was describing himself as a helper to Jacob and he called him, I will help you, O worm Jacob. Now that's not terminology that 
we hear much of nowadays. But way back when, the church used to proclaim the message that we, as human beings, are worms. We're referred to that in Scripture. What does that mean? That means that we don't deserve anything. We do not deserve anything. We deserve nothing but to be crushed under God's heel because of our sinfulness. And if you and I have that attitude, then we don't have a problem thanking God. Because we realize then that we are so worthless that anything that we have is more than we deserved. Now, I am going to take a slight twist here and put a barb on this and send it out to every single one of us, particularly the men, in this way. Why did the disciples recognize Jesus? For his thankfulness, among other things. Why was it so important that he emphasized thankfulness in all that he did? Because people do need to see examples of thankfulness around them in order to learn that that is a great priority. And I say to you who are heads of your homes, for those of you who are single parents or single parents for a time, whatever your situation is, you're ahead of your home. For you fathers specifically, it is incumbent upon the leader to give the attitude of thankfulness. If the leader doesn't do it, it won't get done. Why do we read later in Scripture that the disciples sat down to eat and they gave thanks? For two reasons. One reason they recognized everything came from God. Another reason they'd seen it done. Jesus did it. And if Jesus needed to do it, well then certainly I need to do it. And so for you leaders of your home, you fathers, you mothers, do it. Teach it to your children. Model it. Make sure your kids get the message. Fathers, specifically. If you're fathers and you have kids and your wife is in the home, make sure the kids thank your mother. Make sure the kids thank their mother for the food, for everything. Because we need to be consciously modeling this. But even more importantly than that, before we make sure the kids thank them, us, us. And I think of this with regard to Christ and his prayer, giving thanks and breaking the bread. <clears throat> Fathers, if you are godly models in your home, you need to realize that it is incumbent upon you as fathers and as husbands to, to have the priority of giving thanks before God. Now, I can remember times in the past when I would go into a home. Now, don't mistake me or misunderstand me here. This is, I don't have my examination and scrutinizing glasses on all the time. You know, but you and I observe these sorts of things when we go places. We observe how things go. And I can remember back when we were up in Massachusetts, sometimes we'd go into, remember a particular friend, go into their home, and the husband never took the responsibility for giving thanks. The wife always took the responsibility. Husbands, you have the responsibility. You are the leaders in your home. If you don't do it, if you don't see that it gets done, now I'm not saying the husband always has to do it. I'm just saying, if you don't see that it gets done, it is your responsibility. It falls in your lap. We need, you know, our country is going farther and farther away from gratitude and thankfulness. We as God's people know why we are thankful. We have the model of thankfulness. 
If thankfulness is not cultivated in our world today, it is our responsibility to do so. So, as we come upon this week, give thanks to God for everything. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we ask that you would teach us more and more reasons that we need to be thankful. Teach us as well how to be thankful and how to give thanks with great rejoicing, as the Samaritan did, with loud voices. Not with muted tones, Lord, but instead with, with exuberance, with gladness in our hearts, because you are a good and gracious God. In Jesus' name, amen.